Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. I am your curator, Professor Grunsplatter. Beyond these doors crouch the wonders, horrors, and wry smiles of an uncanny world. This world, your world. Should you choose to come inside, the sounds and stories that the shadows tell will be yours to behold. Make no mistake, it is a place of questions, not answers. A place where the tickle in your belly or the twitch in your eye simply mean you're paying attention. But then if you weren't curious, you wouldn't be here. There will be no refunds once you enter. Thank you for your attention and the brave ones.
Welcome to episode 37 of Professor Grunsplatter's Spookatorium. I am the aforementioned professor. Uh, opening the show today was Gobekli Tepe from Bad Rich off his forensics album that came out on Ohm Resistance earlier this year. Uh, after that was Naxal Protocol with Degradation, and that project is the successor to the outstanding project Casodio. And the last track you heard there was Never Worse with Landfill, and that is off a split release between them and Tomohiko Sake on Strange Therapy Records. Um, I wrestled a little bit with what to do with this episode. I did a winter holiday-themed show um, many years ago, and I didn't really want to do that again. Uh, I thought about making it a Top Albums of the Year episode, but eh, who cares? Um, and then I remembered the Victorian holiday tradition of the ghost story. So coming up a little later, I will have a reading of a tale from the master of ghost stories and safely out of copyright protection, M.R. James. Uh, my first thought actually was uh, modern writer Scott Thomas, who writes brief and beautiful ghost stories in the same tradition. But the idea didn't strike me early enough to see if I could get uh, permission to do that. So, uh, M.R. James, coming up later. Uh, first, though, this is Murderous Vision.
That was Dirge from Black Mole, and previous to that was Hodukoma with Backwoods. I believe both those projects are Russian, if I remember correctly. And opening that set was Murderous Vision with Remains in Pyre from the Elemental Flame release. Uh, Steven is one of the first people I became friends with when I started doing my project uh, creeping up on almost 30 years ago now. I've heard a majority of his releases, and that Elemental Flame record is among some of his finest work. It is great. Uh, it came out in 2021 on Status Productions and is worth tracking down if uh, you can still find it. Uh, I'm sure you can get it digitally at least. Uh, up next is one of my all-time favorite Skinny Puppy tracks.
That was Luasa Raylan with Corridor Wolves from their latest release, The Mountain. Uh, before that was Forgery from Coast. And starting off the block was Skinny Puppy with First Aid off of 1987's Cleanse, Fold, and Manipulate. Scratching for ways to define the ineffable. Humanity's fever to understand the other finds voice through its artistry. A School Story by M.R. James Two men in a smoking room were talking of their private school days. At our school, said A, we had a ghost's footmark on the staircase. What was it like? Oh, very unconvincing. Just the shape of a shoe with a square toe, if I remember right. The staircase was a stone one. I never heard the story about the thing. That seems odd when you come to think of it. Why didn't somebody invent one, I wonder? You can never tell with little boys. They have a mythology of their own. There's a subject for you, by the way. The folklore of private schools. Yes. The crop is rather scanty, though. I imagine if you were to investigate the cycle of ghost stories, for instance, which the boys at the private school tell each other, they would all turn out to be highly compressed versions of stories out of books. Nowadays, the Strand and Pearsons and so on would be extensively drawn upon. No doubt, they weren't born or thought of in my time. Let's see. I wonder if I can remember the staple ones that I was told. First there was the house with a room in which a series of people insisted on passing at night, and each of them in the morning was found kneeling in the corner and just had time to say, I've seen it, and then died. Wasn't that the house in Berkeley Square? I dare say it was. Then there was the man who heard a noise in the passage at night. Opened his door and saw someone crawling towards him on all fours with his eye hanging out on his cheek. There was besides, let me think, yes, the room where a man was found dead in bed with a horseshoe mark on his forehead. And the floor under the bed was also covered with marks of horseshoes as well. I don't know why. Also, there was the lady who, on locking her bedroom door in a strange house, heard a thin voice among the bed curtains say, Now we're shut in for the night. None of those had any explanation or sequel. I wonder if they go on still, those stories. Oh, likely enough. The additions from the magazines, as I said, you've never heard of, but did you of a real ghost at a private school? I thought not. Nobody has that I ever came across. From the way in which you said it, I gathered that you had. I really don't know, but this is what uh, is in my mind. It happened in my private school 30-odd years ago, and I haven't any explanation for it. The school I mean was near London. It was established in a dark, fairly old house, a great white building with very fine grounds around it. There were large cedars in the garden, as there are in so many of the older gardens in the Thames Valley. The ancient elms and the trees three or four fields in which we used for our games. I think probably it was quite an attractive place, but boys seldom allow that, that their school possesses any tolerable features. I came to the school in September, soon after the year was 1870, and among the boys who arrived on that same day was one whom I took to, uh, a Highland boy whom I'll call McLeod. I, I didn't spend time in describing him. The main thing is that I got to know him very well. He was not an exceptional boy in any way, not particularly good at books or games, but he suited me. The school was a large one. 
There must have been from 120 to 130 boys there as a rule, and so a considerable staff of masters was required, and there were rather frequent changes among them. One term, perhaps it was my third or fourth, a new master made his appearance. His name was Samson. He was a tallish, stoutish, pale, black-bearded man. I think we liked him. Uh, he had traveled a good deal and had stories which amused us on our school walks so that there was some competition among us to get within earshot of him. I remember, too, dear me, I have hardly thought about it since then, that he had a charm on his watch chain that attracted my attention one day, and he let me examine it. It was, I now suppose, a gold Byzantine coin. There was an effigy of some absurd emperor on one side, and the other side had been worn practically smooth, and he had had cut on it, rather barbarously, his own initials, GWS, and a date, 24 July 1865. Yes, I can see it now. He told me he had picked it up in Constantinople. It was about the size of a florin, perhaps rather smaller. Well, the first odd thing that happened was this. Samson was doing Latin grammar with us. One of his favorite methods, perhaps it is a rather good one, was to make us construct sentences out of our own heads to illustrate the rules that he was trying to make us learn. Of course, this is a thing which gives a silly boy a chance to be impertinent. There are lots of stories in which that happens, or anyhow there might be, but Samson was too good a disciplinarian for us to think of trying that on with him. Now, on this occasion, he was telling us how to express remembering in Latin. He ordered us each to make a sentence, bringing in the verb memini, I remember. Well, most of us made up some ordinary sentence, such as I remember my father, or he remembers his book, or something equally uninteresting, and I dare say a good many put down memino libram muum, and so forth, but the boy I mentioned, MacLeod, was evidently thinking of something more elaborate than that. The rest of us wanted to have our sentences passed and get on to something else. So some kicked him under the desk, and I, who was next to him, poked him and whispered to him to look sharp. But he didn't seem to attend. I looked at his paper. I saw he had put down nothing at all. So I jogged him again harder than before, and upbraided him sharply for keeping us all waiting. That did have some effect. He started and seemed to wake up. And then very quickly he scribbled out a couple of lines on his paper and showed it up with the rest. As it was the last, or nearly the last, to come in, and as Samson had a good deal to say to the boys who had written Meminisissimus Patri Mio and the rest of it, it turned out that the clock struck twelve before he had got to MacLeod, and MacLeod had to wait afterwards to have his sentence corrected. There was nothing much going on outside when I got out, so I waited for him to come. He came very slowly. When he did arrive, I guessed there had been some sort of trouble. Well, I said, what did you get? Oh, I don't know, said MacLeod. Nothing much, but I think Samson's rather sick with me. Why? Did you show him up some rot? No fear, he said. It was all, all right, as far as I could see. It was like uh, this. Memento. That's right enough for remember. And it takes a genitive. Memento putae inter quator taxos. What silly rot, I said. What made you shove that down? What does it mean? That's the funny part, said MacLeod. I'm not quite sure what it does mean. All I know is, it just came into my head, and I corked it down. I know what I think it means, because just before I wrote it down, I had a sort of picture in my head. I believe it means, remember the well among the four. 
What are those dark sorts of trees that have the red berries on them? Mountain ashes, I suppose you mean. I've never heard of them, said McLeod. No, I'll tell you. Yews. Well, what did Samson say? Why, he was jolly about it. When he read it, he got up and went to the mantelpiece and stopped quite a long time without saying anything with his back to me. And then he said, without turning around and rather quiet, What do you suppose that means? I told him what I thought, only I couldn't remember the name of the silly tree. And then he wanted to know why I put it down, and I had to have something or other to say. And after that, he left off talking about it and asked me how long I'd been here and where my people lived and things like that. And then I came away, but he wasn't looking a bit well. I don't remember any more of what was said by either of us about this. The next day, McLeod took to his bed with a chill or something of the kind, and it was a week or more before he was in school again, and as much as a month went by without anything happening that was noticeable. Whether or not Mr. Sampson was really startled, as McLeod had thought, he didn't show it. I'm pretty sure, of course, now that there was something very curious in his past history, but I'm not going to pretend that we boys were sharp enough to guess any such thing. There was one other incident of the same kind as the last which I told you. Several times since that day we had to make up examples in school to illustrate different rules, but there had never been any row except when we did them wrong. At last there came a day when we were going through the those dismal things which people call conditional sentences, and we were told to make a conditional sentence expressing a future consequence. We did it, right and wrong, and showed up our bits of paper, and Samson began looking through them. All at once he got up, made some sort of odd noise in his throat, and rushed out by the door that was just by his desk. We sat there for a minute or two, and then I suppose it was incorrect, but we went up, I and one or two others, to look at the papers on his desk. Of course I thought someone must have put down some nonsense or another and Samson had gone off to report him. All the same, I noticed that he hadn't taken any of the papers with him when he ran out. Well, the top paper on the desk was written in red ink, which no one used. And it wasn't in anyone's hand who was in the class. They all looked at it, McLeod and all, and took their dying oaths that it wasn't theirs. Then I thought of counting the bits of paper, and of this I made quite certain that there were 17 bits of paper at the desk and 16 boys in the form. Well, I bagged the extra paper, and I kept it, and I believe I have it now. And now you'll want to know what's written on it. It was simple enough, and harmless enough, I should have said. Si tu non veneris ad me, ego venium ad te, which I suppose means... If you don't come to me, I'll come to you. Could you show me the paper? interrupted the listener. Yes, I could, but there's another odd thing about it. That same afternoon, I took it out of my locker. I know for certain it was the same bit, for I made a finger mark on it, and no single trace of writing of any kind was there on it. I kept it, as I said, and since that time I have tried various experiments to see whether sympathetic ink had been used, but absolutely without result. So much for that. After about a half an hour, Samson looked in again, said he had felt a bit unwell, and told us we might go. He came rather gingerly to his desk and gave just one look at the uppermost paper, and I suppose he thought he must have been dreaming. Anyhow, he asked no questions. That day was a half holiday. The next day Samson was in school again, much as usual. That night, the third and the last incident in my story happened. We, McLeod and I, 
slept in a dormitory at right angles to the main building. Samson slept in the main building on the first floor. There was a very bright full moon at an hour, which I can't tell exactly, but sometime between one and two. I was woken up by somebody shaking me. It was McLeod. Come, he said, come. There's a burglar getting in through Samson's window. And as soon as I could speak, I said, well, why not call out and wake everybody up? No, no, he, he said. I'm not sure who it is. Don't make a row. Come and look. Naturally, I came and looked, and naturally there was no one there. I was cross enough and should have called McLeod plenty of names, only I couldn't tell why. It seemed to me that there was something wrong, something that made me very glad I wasn't alone to face it. We were still at the window, looking, and as soon as I could, I asked him what he had heard or seen. I didn't hear anything at all, he said, but about five minutes before I woke you, I found myself looking out of this window here, and there was a man sitting or kneeling on Samson's windowsill and looking in, and I thought he was beckoning. What sort of man? McLeod wriggled. I, I don't know, he said, but I can tell you one thing. He was beastly thin, and he looked as if he, he was wet all over, and he said, looking around and whispering, as if he hardly liked to hear himself, I'm not at all sure that he was alive. We went on talking in whispers for some time longer, and eventually crept back to bed. No one else in the room woke or stirred the whole time, and I believe we did sleep a bit afterwards, but we were very cheap next day. And next day Mr. Sampson was gone, not to be found, and I believe no trace of him has ever come to light since. And thinking it over, one of the oddest things about it all seemed to me to be the fact that neither McLeod nor I ever mentioned that we had seen to any third person whatsoever. Of course, no questions were asked on the subject, and if they had been, I'm inclined to believe that we would not have made an, any answer. We seemed unable to speak about it. That is my story, said the narrator. The only approach to a ghost story connected with a school that I know, but still, I think, a sequel to this may perhaps be reckoned highly conventional. But a sequel there is. There had been more than one listener to the story, and in the latter part of that same year, or of the next year, one such listener was staying in a country house in Ireland. One evening, his host was turning over a drawer full of odds and ends in the smoking room. Suddenly, he put his hands upon a little box. Now, he said, you know about old things. Tell me what that is. My friend opened the little box and found in it a thin gold chain with an object attached to it. He glanced at the object and then took off his spectacles to examine it more narrowly. What's the history of this, he asked. Odd enough was the answer. You know the yew thicket in the shrubbery? Well, a year or two back we were cleaning out the old well that used to be in the clearing here, and what do you suppose we found? Is it possible you found a body, said the visitor, with an odd feeling of nervousness. We did that. What's more, in every sense of the word, we found two. Good heavens, two! Was there anything to show how they got there? Was this thing found with them? It was. Amongst the rags of the clothes that were on one of the bodies, a bad business, whatever the story of it may have been, one body had the arms tight around the other. They must have been there thirty years or more, long enough before we came to this place. You may judge we've filled the well up fast enough. Do you make anything of what's cut into the gold coin you have there? I think I can, said my friend, holding it to the light. But he read it without much difficulty. It seems to be GWS, 24 July, 1865.
Auditorium exists to showcase music and ideas. I am not an expert at anything, and I have no agenda beyond fostering curiosity. The show is not monetized on any platform. It's available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. A video version is available on the Cryonic Mind YouTube page. If you can like, subscribe, comment, etc., it helps the show's visibility. If your music was featured here and you'd prefer it was not, let me know and I will remove it from the feed. You can reach the show at spookatorium at gmail.com. The website can be found at spookatorium.org, and your comments are always welcome. Thanks very much for spending some time here.
Starting that set was Black Egg with Untold. Following that was Box and the Twins with Shadows. And the last thing you heard was Weaver with Paradis Blanc. Uh, my thanks once again to, for stopping by the Spookatorium. I really appreciate the people that have been coming back and keep checking out the show since I relaunched it. I'm a little astounded that I've managed to keep a schedule so far, um, and I look forward to continuing that. Uh, whatever you do or don't celebrate this time of year, um, I hope your year is ending on an up note. And to close it out this time, here is Winter Solstice Procession from Wilt. <laughs> 